0: Well, today is a, is a special day, and uh, it's special to me because six years ago to the day, <clears throat> to the day, was the first time you let me do this. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say thank you. Uh, it has, I mean, a lot has happened in six years. Um, we came here with four kids. <laughs> and, uh... We now have five. Our oldest was going into seventh grade, and now he's going to college, and the one that we didn't expect is going to kindergarten. Uh, six years has flown by, and I just want to thank, thank you for allowing me to pastor this church. I love you guys. Um, it is a privilege. It's an honor, and it's a crazy adventure uh, that I'm, I'm glad to be on. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm 50. It's our last message in our Summer of Psalms uh, series. If you turn your Bibles there with me today, we're going to begin this morning by reading our text together, and then we'll, then we'll talk about it a little bit. But Psalm chapter 50, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up there with me this morning. And this is what it says. It says, the Lord, the mighty one is God. I'm going I'm to read the whole text this morning because it's all uh, applicable for us. The Lord, the mighty one, is God, and he has spoken. He has summoned all humanity from where the sun rises to where it sets. From Mount Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines in glorious radiance. Our God approaches, and he is not silent. Fire devours everything in his way, and a great storm rages around him. He calls on the heavens above and earth below to witness the judgment of his people. Bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Then let the heavens proclaim his justice, for God himself will be the judge. And there's an interlude here. We talked about this last week. There's a pause, and it's important for us as we read our text again. O my people, listen as I speak. Here are my charges against you, O Israel. I am God, your God. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. But God says to the wicked, why bother reciting my decrees and pretending to obey my covenant? For you refuse my discipline and you treat my words like trash. When you see thieves, you approve of them and you spend your time with adulterers. Your mouth is filled with wickedness and your tongue is full of lies. You sit around and slander your brother, your own mother's son. While you did all this, I remained silent. You thought I didn't care. But now I will rebuke you, listing all my charges against you. Repent All of you who forget me, or I will tear you apart and no one will help you. But give thanks, but giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we receive your word today. We believe that it is inspired divinely by you and that through it we can. Experience even more of your presence as you speak to us and as you teach us. God, your Holy Spirit is alive in this word and it is alive in us today. We are prepared to receive what you have for us. Speak in this place, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Perhaps you found yourself at some point in your life or uh, in a situation where the expectation for you from someone or something else was somewhat unclear. In the arena of employment, most of the time, this is answered by providing what we call a job description. Uh, it's something that's given to you perhaps as you're in the process of uh, coming into employment or maybe once you are hired, it, here's the description of what you're expected to do. And most job descriptions, the good ones, are pretty clear on what is expected of the employee and sometimes what is expected of the employer, And it's really something that's very helpful in making sure that the relationship that exists between the employer and the employee remains healthy because the expectations are laid out. They're very clear. This is what needs to happen. And you can take that idea, I think, to just about any other relationship that you might have and you can see how it might be valuable. Uh, What if you had a job description for your neighbor, right? (laughs) Listen. It is your responsibility to cut up to this line, and I will cut up to this line. Any branch that goes past this level is my, I will cut that. It's your responsibility to pick up your trash. Make sure your dog doesn't use, these would be nice things to know, would they not? I think it also would be really handy if you had a job description for your marriage. Then the expectations would be clear. No, that is not where your clothes go. Uh, I do expect you to pull the sheets I do expect, I do expect the sheets to be pulled up. Um, I would uh, like to have the coffee brought directly to me in the morning uh, and my eggs need to be at least warm. Uh, Maybe some job description. Now, don't don't read into what I'm saying there, okay? Uh, And I know that those of us who are raising kids would love to have had a job description ahead of time because I don't care how much you prepare and how much people teach you and how many books you read. There is no manual for these little things, right? And everyone is totally different. You wonder who the manufacturer was and what went wrong in the process. But there aren't always going to be job descriptions for every relationship. And even when it comes to the employer-employee relationship, there are going to be times when what is expected or what one party or another really desires really wasn't clear. And sometimes in those relationships, we get to a point of exasperation when all we can think to say is, what do you want from me? (laughs) Maybe as an employee to your boss, you're thinking, what do you want from me? Maybe in your marriage, you have said out loud or at least thought to yourself in regards to your spouse, what do you want from me? and every parent at some point or another has looked at their four-year-old and said, what do you want from me? (laughs) But I think that sometimes we do the same thing with God. We, We ask God this question, what do you want from me? And oftentimes that question comes to the surface because for years and years we've had a picture of what God expects from us that has been just drilled into our minds that's not actually the truth. And I don't know that it's really anyone's fault necessarily. I think it's really just a result of our misunderstanding of Scripture and our misunderstanding of the character of God, the heart of God. See, some of us are brought up in the church and we were fed a continual diet of do's and don'ts when it came to what God wanted from us. Now, some of these things were completely appropriate, because there are some things that you don't need to do, (laughs) and there are some things that you do need to do. And some of us were brought up on a list of rules, and the most important thing was to just live by that list of rules, and if you did that, then you were okay. That was what was most important. And some of us have been taught and have believed that the most important thing that we need to do when it comes to God is we just need to be a good person. Just, just be a good person. Be kind most of the time. Be generous some of the time. Be a good person. That's what's most important. In fact, it's this idea of being a good person that is one of the most common things I hear when people are talking about a loved one that has passed away, and they say, well, he or she was such a good person. Well, that's great because we do want to be good people, but God never tells us to be good people. And the problem is that when we live with some of these mindsets, when we are good people and we live by the rules and we try to abide by every do and do not, but things don't always go the way that we want them to or we have some loss in our lives or we lose someone that's important to us, it can lead us to a place. Where we then turn to God, and out of complete exasperation, we say to Him, What do you want from me? Our psalm this morning is certainly not an exhaustive approach to this, as we seek to answer that question, but I do think that it gives us some pretty clear answers. I want to begin by looking at what God does not want. So look there at verse 8 with me again. God says this. He says, I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings that you constantly offer. But I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? Important for us to understand that God is not telling them here that making sacrifices and giving offerings are unnecessary, or that they're unwelcome, or that they're not important. In verse nine, you'll notice that it says, "God says your barns and your pens." And this, I love it because there's almost a sarcastic tone to it. Almost, a, almost him say, "I don't need. You think I need your stuff?" <laughs> See, what was happening in the hearts and the minds of the Israelites at this time is they were bringing these sacrifices and they were bringing these offerings to God with a sense of pride. Look what I have done for you, God. This one came from my barn. God says, do you think I need stuff from your barn? Do you think I need stuff from your fields? But God, look what I am giving. And along with that, there was this idea that They had to do this for God. It becomes clear to us what God does not want here. You see, God does not want sacrifices and offerings that are made out of obligation, out of ignorance, or out of hypocrisy. You see, the sacrifice or offering that's made out of obligation is one that says, I have to do this for God in order to maintain my standing with him. I have to do this. Instead of giving the gift or making the sacrifice out of a heart of worship, it becomes something that we do out of obligation. Almost simply like checking a box of our religious duties. And when this is done, there's a degree of ignorance. Now, ignorance, we don't like that word. You don't want to call someone ignorant. Well, here's the thing. Ignorance is simply a lack of knowledge or information. So all of us are ignorant in some area or another. But there's this degree of ignorance that comes into light as well because, their lack of, because of their lack of awareness of just who is the creator in the first place. We make the same mistake today. We forget just who gave us the resources that we have. We forget who gave us the skills and the abilities that we have. We forget who granted us yet another day of life. And that ignorance... Brings us to a place where we can sometimes begin to keep to ourselves all that we have attained. We put them in our barns, in our fields, all that we have produced. Why? Well, because I worked hard for this. I I worked really hard. This is mine. And I worked hard for these things. I deserve this. Here's the thing. That is an ignorant attitude. It's an ignorant attitude. It's ignorant of the role that God plays in all of this. That attitude actually <clears throat> denies God. But there's also a spirit of hypocrisy that sometimes comes, in, uh, comes out in our sacrifices and our offerings. Skip over to verse 16 with me. You'll see on the screen, it says this, but God says to the wicked. I want to be clear here. When it says that God says to the wicked, he is not talking to a different group of people. We might read that and say, well, God's talking to this group of people here, but in verse 16, he says, but God says to the wicked. No, God's talking to the same group of people. He says, God says to the wicked... Why bother reciting my decrees and pretending to obey my covenant? For you refuse my discipline and you treat my words like trash. And when you see thieves, you approve of them and you spend time with adulterers. Your mouth is filled with wickedness and your tongue is full of lies. You sit around and you slander your brother, your mother's own son. When God says to the wicked, talking to the same people, he is calling those who make these sacrifices but whose spirit is wicked. Another way to understand that word in the Hebrew that we have translated here as wicked is guilty. So they're making the sacrifices that they are called to make. They're doing the things they're supposed to do. They're, They're doing all the church stuff, yet they treat his words... His commands and his statutes for their lives like garbage. They approve of those who do wrong. They spend time with those who who choose to dishonor God with their own lives. And their mouths are filled, as the scripture says, with wickedness. And they are liars and they slander other people. And God says that those who make their sacrifices and their offerings, yet they do these things, they're hypocrites. I was listening to a podcast the other day. It was talking about the current challenges that we are facing in the church compared to the challenges that we were facing some years ago. And when you go back several years, and I mean decades really, uh, there were basically two terms that we used in in this conversation. We talked about believers and non-believers. And believers were the people that had believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and made Him Lord of their lives. And the non-believers, well... They were those who had not. So we basically had two groups of people. And those that fell into the non-believer group were more than likely those who had not probably ever been a part of a church before. An exception to that might be someone who grew up in the church but never really made their own decision to make Jesus Lord of their lives. And they just simply drifted away from the church. But if you fast forward to today, we have some new terms that we use. And there are three terms that are often used. They are churched, unchurched, and dechurched. Uh, the first two groups, the churched and the unchurched, are, assembly, are essentially the same thing as a believer and a non-believer. They basically have the same general definition. But then this third group called the de-churched, it's this group that has at some point been a part of the church, would probably identify as a believer, but has walked away from the church. And do you know why they walk away from the church most of the time? It's because of the hypocrisy that they see in the people of God. It's because of the hypocrisy that they see in the lives of people just like you and me who would identify as a believer. It's all the things that Psalm 50 talks about. The sacrifice and the offering is there, but mixed in with that religious behavior Is this acceptance of and and a participation in the things of the world, including bitterness and gossip and slander and anger? And the crazy thing is, the people that fit into that group, the ones that are doing their religious things, but yet whose lives are not fully honoring to God, they are fully caught up in this idea that they are a good person. Are you catching what I'm saying? the ones that have have helped to create this group we now know as dechurched, while they would say that they are believers, they would also say they are a good person. They might even say they are godly. And so consequently, everything is okay. But God says something different. In verse 21, he says this, while you did all this, I remained silent and you thought I didn't care (laughs) but now I will rebuke you listing all of my charges against you repent all of you who forget me or I will tear you apart (coughs) and no one will help you It just seems to me like God's fairly clear here. Like this would be a God not mincing words type situation. If you remember verse 16, it says, They are citing his decrees and pretending to obey his covenant, yet their lives are filled with sin. Can I say this again? Because some of you are half, halfway here. Verse 16 They are citing his decrees and pretending to obey his covenant. They're playing church. They're playing believer. They're playing Christian. They're doing all the right things. They say the right things. They cite the decrees. They're pretending to obey his covenant as far as most other people think. It looks like everything's okay. I mean, they're a good person. He's a good guy. She's a good lady. But their lives are filled with sin. And it's not often the most visible, evident things. It's the stuff that lives below the surface. It's the anger. It's the slander. It's the bitterness. It's the hatred. It's the contempt. And God does not tolerate this. He does not. So we know what God does not want, but let's look at what God does want. Remember verse 8. He said, I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer. God is not telling them, hey, you shouldn't make sacrifices. God is not telling them, hey, you shouldn't give these offerings. He said, I don't have a problem with that. That's not the problem here. Sometimes we can take this and twist this. God's not really interested in my sacrifice and my offering. That's not true. He says, I have no problem with that. This is an important part of how we live on our faith. In fact, he says in verse 14, make thankfulness for your sacrifice to God. Keep the vows you made to the Most High. Verse 23, giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. So what do we see here? First, we see a sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice, an offering that we give to God that, that's not given out of obligation, but out of recognition of who God is and what God has done for you. Let me ask you the question this morning. Has God done anything for you lately? Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my my wife is an incredible cook. All right, well, who's been eating my house, my, my wife is an incredible cook, and um, and uh, she didn't always used to be an incredible cook, right? We started out the first couple years and we had stock and hamburger helper. But my wife is an amazing cook. And the stuff that she makes in her kitchen is mm, so good. And when she makes a good meal, I tell her, babe, this is so good. Thank you for making dinner. I mean most of the time. She's like, I don't remember you saying that loud. Most of the time I do that. (laughs) But God has done so much more for me than my wife has ever done or will ever do. He breathed new life into me today. He let me get to be with you guys he gave me the blessing of my children he gave me this wonderful woman that i've been spending my life with he has touched and healed my body he has restored me he has forgiven me amen and so my my sacrifice to him my offering to him is made out of thanksgiving and recognition of who he is and what he has done for me and i do it with a thankful heart we are to do it with a thankful heart in fact, the Apostle Paul reminds us in his, church to the letter to, to, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, he says this, give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In everything. And just last week, we talked about how God is present in our troubles, and he is present in whatever it is that you're facing right now. Just his continued and faithful presence alone should be enough for us to give him thanksgiving. And even when we have what is little, we are told to bring that to him with the spirit of thanksgiving. We're also supposed to have a sacrifice of obedience. If you remember back to the scriptures we just reviewed, God says to keep the vows that you have made to him and to keep to his path. You know what it means when he says to keep the vows and keep to the path? Obedience. Several times as we have made our way through the Psalms, we We've talked about obedience. We've been reminded of the necessity to obey God's commands for our lives. Anybody want to go there? Trust and obey for there's no other way. And this is where a lot of us get tripped up. It's it's not enough to do all the right things and say the right things if you're not willing to obey God. it, It is really easy to put on The mask of a believer. Because we just got to know some catchphrases. (laughs) You know, praise God. If I say God is good, you say all the time. They say all the time. We know those things, right? But that's not enough. It's not enough to have one of these on your on your nightstand or on your bookshelf. It's not enough to come here on Sunday morning to be a part of it. It's not enough to just to sing the songs. And God says, no, that's not enough. I need you to obey me. I need you to really take seriously what my word teaches. Not, not just on Sunday mornings, but I mean, like tomorrow morning when you go back to the job site. This week, when you go back to school, tonight, when you go back to your home and and you walk into that really difficult, challenging situation, I still need you then to obey me. In every aspect of your life, in your words and in your thoughts and in your deeds, in everything that you do, I need you to obey me. God also wants a sacrifice of praise. In verse 15, it says that we will give him glory. God desires a sacrifice of praise that is due him. And God desires that credit is given where credit is due. Remember, God doesn't need what we have to offer. He, he doesn't need it because it came from him in the first place. <laughs> it's like your kid, you know, hey, Dad, I want to give you $5. Like, I gave you 20 <laughs> It came from him in the first place, but he's worthy of it. Because in our sacrifice that's filled with thanksgiving and praise, we're pointing to him, and we're giving him glory. So we see what God doesn't want, what he does want, but real quick, I want us to look at what God promises. God promises judgment for wrong sacrifice, but also for right sacrifice. He says in verse 21 uh, that the sacrifice that is wrong will be met with rebuke and punishment, and then in verse 23, he says that the sacrifice that is right will be met with salvation. So we might misunderstand or misinterpret what, I, what I've just said if we don't pause for a moment and understand what God's saying. When we sacrifice, but it is done in the wrong spirit and for the wrong reasons with faulty motivations, and when our lives, our hearts do not line up with the spirit of the sacrifice that we're giving, that is an empty and meaningless sacrifice. And God says that it it may not seem like he's doing anything about it right now, but he will. It reminds me of Jesus' teaching from Matthew chapter 7. He warns his disciples that not everybody who calls out, Lord, Lord, will enter his kingdom. Do you remember this? This is what he says. He goes, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Ouch. Again, we're not mincing words here. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. You see, God promises judgment for the wrong sacrifice, but for the right sacrifice, God says it will be met with salvation. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells another story. This story is about (coughs) a master who goes away for a trip and he gives three of his servants a certain sum of money. And when he returns, each person had done something different with their money. The the first one had taken the money, he had the most, he had taken the money, he had invested it and he put it to work and it had multiplied. And The second one had been given a little bit less money, but he had taken it, invested it and put it to work and it had multiplied. Well, the third one had the least amount of money and he was kind of concerned about what the master might think and so he took it and he buried it in the ground. When the master came back, he said, hey, look, hey, look, master, this is what I, look, I I knew you were kind of harsh, and so I didn't want to mess this up, and so I just kind of protected it. Here, I'm giving it back to you. The master saw what each one had done, and he told the first two, who had taken the resources he gave them and put them to work, he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. But to the third, who had done nothing with what he had been given, he said to him, you are a wicked and lazy servant. You see, this was not a story on investing, <clears throat> but how to play the stock market. It wasn't even really a story that was focused on finances. It was a picture of taking what God has given you and putting it to work no matter how big or how small it is. And then trusting that God will provide. Trusting that God will be Faithful. See, those words, well done, good and faithful servant, are not just what rings in the ear of those who are obedient and faithful in this life, but they are the words that our heart longs for, that we want to hear when we stand before the Lord in judgment, and He looks at everything that we have been given, and all that we have done, and everything that He has provided for us, and we want to hear, well done, good and faithful Servant, enter into my kingdom. Come on, let's celebrate together. Enter into my happiness. God promises judgment, but he also promises a listening ear and rescue. Verse 15 says, then call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you. This is not a new thing for us. We've been reminded multiple times as we have made our way through the Psalms that God is listening He is attentive, he is present, he is engaged, he is very much interested, and he promises to always come to our rescue. These are the promises of God. So, so what? So what do we do we do with this? What do you do with this? Well, the question before us is, What do you want from me? God's response is, I want your sacrifices and I want your offerings to be made in thanksgiving and I want your life to be fully submitted in obedience to me. What do you want from me, God? I want your sacrifices and I want your offerings to be made in thanksgiving. And I want your life to be fully submitted, submitted in obedience to me, to my will, to my directives, to my commands. Jesus, while teaching his disciples one time, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you will have to give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. And it seems like a lot, Jesus, they said. No he kept going he says if you try to hang on to your life you will lose it but if you give up your life for my sake you will save it and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul is anything worth more than your soul is anything worth more than your soul well my house i mean i i've worked hard for my house is anything worth more than your soul Well, my job, I I have eight years of education and, and, and I've got all these degrees and that's important to me. Is anything worth more than your soul? I have five beautiful kids that God has blessed. Is anything worth more than your soul? The Son of man will come with his angels in the glory of his father we'll judge all people according to their deeds. So let me ask you this morning, do you want to follow Jesus? Yes. Yeah. Do you? Do do you want the salvation of God revealed to you? That's what the psalm says, that he will reveal his salvation to you. Do you want the salvation of God revealed to you? Because if, if, if the answer to those questions is yes, then let me tell you very plainly and very clearly this morning, you will have to submit your will and your desire and your plan and your agenda to him. I don't care what you've been working on or how long you've been working on it. You're going to have to submit it to him. I don't care how many years you have invested in this job, how long you've been building this house, how many years you've been raising kids. You're going to have to submit these things to him. All of it. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to have the salvation of God revealed to you. You have to give it all to him. You see, when we do this, the sacrifices that we make and the offerings that we give, which are literally from every part of our lives, not just our pocketbooks, they become a sacrifice. They become an offering of praise and of thanksgiving because our lives are now surrendered to him. Our lives are in his hands. And we recognize just who deserves the glory in all that we do. And when we do this, obedience, obedience is not something that we do out of fear or trepidation. I, I, know, I know that a lot of you were, relate, were raised in a church environment where obedience was tied primarily to fear. But God doesn't operate this way. He wants obedience because of relationship. He wants obedience because of intimacy. And then that obedience is just, it's just a natural outpouring of our love for him. Why do I do what I do? Because I love God. He's been so good to me. He has blessed me so much and he has... He has provided for me in ways that I I don't even fully understand. So why do I do what I do? Because I I don't know any other way to respond. I don't know any other way to to, to react to what God has. So naturally, I have to give Him praise. And I have to give back to Him. And I have to honor Him with, with every part of my life. It's just what I do. I don't know any other way. You may say, hey, you know. It's really hard to live a pure and holy life. That's that's tough. I just when I mean, you talk about being holy, pastor, and you talk about being—that's just really tough. I hear, I'm just. Gonna, my guess is you really aren't working too hard to know Jesus. You know, I. I'm going to speak about men because that's my wheelhouse. You know, sometimes, you know, guys, like, I, they get wrapped up into something like fishing. You know, maybe they want to fish. Maybe they want to hunt. Um, you know, some other, I don't know. They, they'll just stick with that. And, and they want to fish so bad. And they want to be a good fisherman. And so, you know, they, they go to Walmart. Stick with me. <laughs> they go to Walmart, and they buy you know, that Puppy Pals fishing rod in the aisle for nine nine nine, and And they, you know, before they leave for the, the, the water in the morning, they get some worms from the front driveway because it rained. And, and they just go out there and they just, you know, hope for the best because they want to be a fisherman. No, they don't. No, they don't. They travel all the way to Memphis, Tennessee, and go to Bass Pro Shops. They buy $500 worth of fishing poles. Then they go to a fishing expedition class, and they learn all about fishing. And they grab their buddies and say, hey, I want you to teach me everything that you know about this. And then they go and spend $35,000 on a boat, and then they sit there for hours and hope for the best. You say, Pastor, it is really hard to live a pure and holy life. And I say to you, you're not trying. Because when you want something, oh, you will try. When it really becomes important to you, you will invest your time, your energy, your resources, and yes, your money. Because, man, I, I, I want to live that way. I want to be that man. I want to be that woman. So I'm going to put something into this. Remember what it said in last week's scripture. Be still and know that I am God. Remember what we talked about? Stop what you're doing. That's what the be still is. Stop. Why? So you can know me. So you can have a relationship with me. So that you can be intimate with me. That's what God desires for you. But the ball is in your court. I don't think that Psalm 50 is a job description because the truth is that Scripture has so much more to offer and to teach when it comes to how we are to live our lives for Christ and not for ourselves. But this is kind of a good first glance. Maybe a good foundation. And for some of you here this morning, this first glance may be a... Put- punch in the gut because right where you are right now in your life, you probably realize that you are not in the right headspace with God. Maybe you're frustrated because of the things that are going on in your life and maybe you've just pushed God to the side or you're looking at him and you're asking him, what do you want from me? <laughs> what do you want from me? And I'm telling you this morning that the answer to that question is far simpler than we sometimes make it. God wants you. He wants you. And he wants you to want him. For for others of us here this morning, it may be... More along the lines of you have lived much of your life striving to do the right thing, to be the right kind of person, but below the surface of all of your checklist Christianity lurks a heart of bitterness, perhaps rage or anger, maybe an an inner battle with lust, maybe a spirit of gossip and slander, all of these things... God condemns. And I just want you to know this this morning, hear me. God is full of grace. Man, that's good news. God is full of grace. And it is a grace that is so abundant. And do you know what God's grace leads to? Forgiveness. God's grace leads to a fresh start. If you ever needed a fresh start, man, I have needed some fresh starts. I have needed fresh starts in my marriage. I have needed fresh starts with my kids. And I'm telling you, I've needed fresh starts in my walk with God. Because sometimes I do ignorant things, stupid things, but my God is full of grace So no matter where you are today, God, who loves you and desires to be close to you, is extending to you this incredible gift if you will simply receive it. Man, I mean, that seems like something I could do. Maybe that's not so hard. Maybe it's not as difficult as I have believed for all these years. The things that I heard in church growing up. Maybe the things that that someone has taught me. It's not not as complicated as, as I have made it out to be. No, it's not. It's not. God loves you. And he wants to be close to you. And he wants for you to be close to him. So that your life begins to produce thanksgiving and obedience. That's it. Don't make it harder. Please don't make it harder. God really does make it pretty simple. We're going to sing a song a little bit and as we sing... respond respond to whatever god's telling you in your heart maybe you need to come to these altars pray maybe it's time to stop having that battle that inner battle that you're facing maybe there's some things you need to let go of maybe there's an area in your life where you need to be still maybe for the first time maybe for the umpteenth time the altar is not a place of shame. It's a place of redemption. Heavenly Father, thank you for being full of grace and for loving us in spite of our failures, our insufficiencies. You are a gracious, gracious God, and we love you. Father, would you speak to our hearts now through the power of your Holy Spirit. Bring conviction where it is needed and be glorified in this place as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.